Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks, Jonathan. Hey, good morning. My name is Drew. If you're a guest with us, um, and it really is an honor to have you with us, and it's good to see the rest of the One Fellowship family and friends as we go through this passage, as you just heard read this morning. Um, Next week is Palm Sunday, and then the week following, obviously, is Easter, and we have a rare opportunity where we have an open week um, in between our series that we just wrapped up in Philippians and Palm Sunday. And so I was thinking about it. And I was wondering, what was Jesus doing the days before Holy Week started, before the entrance, the triumphal entry? And what he was doing is he was teaching. He was spending a lot of time with his disciples trying to prepare them. But he also did something else that I find really interesting. Along the way, as he sees the cross in front of him, and he knows that's near in the midst of all of this that's happening. He stops outside of this town of Jericho. And he heals two blind men. And in doing so, he actually speaks to what I believe is one of the greatest challenges in our society and therefore one of our greatest challenges personally. But more than that, he also speaks into an even deeper longing that we all have. So let me pray for us. And we're going to dive right into this and see what God has for us this morning. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for this word. Thank you for what you have to say to us, God. Jesus, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for this account, for you do for these two men, for what it means for us. We've all walked in with different things today. You know where we are. You know the distractions. You know the weights. You know the mundane pieces of our life that we wrestle with. Would you speak to us now? Through your word, by your spirit, in your name we pray, amen. All right, let's jump into this. So here's where it starts. In verse 29 of chapter 20 of Matthew, it says, And they went out of Jericho, speaking about Jesus and his disciples. They leave Jericho, and it says, A great crowd followed him. So where are they headed? They're headed to Jerusalem. Jesus has made it known in the previous verses to his disciples that we are going to have to go to Jerusalem, and I'm actually going to be handed over to the authorities, and I'm going to be put to death. And so imagine the weight, the emotional weight on Jesus, on his disciples as they hear this and they take this with them as they leave Jericho and they head to Jerusalem. This would have been jarring mentally and emotionally trying to consume this news, his good friends. Jesus has been teaching, he's been doing miracles, he's been turning culture on its head for the past three years and he's built up quite a following of people, large crowds, 
Some are following because they genuinely have faith. They believe he is the Messiah, the long-awaited king, the one they've been expecting. Some are following because it looks like this is the way to get free health care, right? Jesus heals people, and he's basically a walking food pantry as well. So it's like, let's follow him legitimately. And then others are simply curious because he's doing things that no one else has done, and he's saying things that no one else has said. And so there is this large crowd that's following, and they're on their way. And it says, and behold, which is an important word. It means, hey, stop, see this, don't miss it. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. These two blind men. At this time in this society, for you to be blind, for you to be deaf, for you to be lame, for you to be mute, for you to have this type of impairment was incredibly hard, incredibly lonely and would have led to a completely dependent life. In fact, at this time, there was this false notion that if you had a type of impairment like this, it was because of your sin or it was because of the sin of your parents. And so these blind men, they sat in shame. Their dignity was stolen. These people would have been regularly taken advantage of. They were marginalized in society. They were completely reliant on the kindness of others. And if these men were lucky, a family member or a friend would escort them each day to some high-trafficked area inside of the city or right outside of the city so that they could beg for money and food simply to survive. This was their day-in and day-out reality. They were seen as a burden, and as we're about to see, they were treated as such. To this point in their lives, there has been no earthly hope for things to get better for these men. But that's about to change. Here's what happens. And it says, and when they heard that Jesus was passing by, these men, they cried out. Here's what they cry out. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. I just want to paint this picture for you, for us right now. These two men sitting on this dusty roadside, They start to hear the noise of a crowd move toward them. They can't see it, but they hear it. But it's not just any crowd. Because through whispers and conversations in this crowd, whispers and conversations in this town, they learn that Jesus was a part of this group and would be passing by. And they've heard about this man, the one traveling around and teaching and healing and doing things that no one else could do and saying things that no one else has said, the one that some even call the Messiah. So what do they do? It says they cried out in the Greek, krazo, literally meaning to cry out in anguish. It's the same word used to describe the cries of a woman during childbirth. This isn't just some cry out like, hey, we're over here. Can you hear us? Like, hey, can I get some attention this way? They were desperate to get Jesus' attention. And based on how they referred to Jesus, which is important as son of David, meaning Messiah, with whatever faith they have, they actually believe that he has the ability to do what no one else in their life has ever been able to do. And so this is their one chance to shoot their shot. (laughs) They have to get Jesus' attention. 
I was listening to a comedian recently and he was talking about all the addictions in our society and what people think are the greatest addictions in our society. And then he stopped and he said, actually, the greatest addiction in America is this, it's attention. And I was like, whoa. The greatest addiction is attention and we won't stop until we get enough and we will never get enough to stop. And I think he's right. We live in a society that is addicted to attention and you and I are just as prone to this temptation, this addiction. But here's the reality, attention in and of itself is not a bad thing. We're actually wired this way. It's in our DNA to be seen and to be known, to be loved, to be cared for. These are all really, really good things. And I see this every single day in my four-year-old Silas. He longs for attention. He longs for Laura's attention. He longs for my attention. He wants us to see him. He wants us to encourage him. He wants us to care for him. He wants us to celebrate him. And some of this is really healthy attention-seeking. But even for him, sometimes this attention-seeking goes completely sideways. Yesterday, Laura's in an appointment and I'm in the kitchen and I'm trying to do something and I hear him saying, dad, dad, come over here, look at this. I'm like, I'll be there in just a second. I'll be there in just a second. I'm working on this. He gets louder um, and he continues to want my attention. He wants me to see what he's doing. He wants to grab my attention and he he starts yelling and uh, eventually I look over and I see that he has created what I would just call a throne of madness in the living room. He has taken all of the couch cushions, stacked them on top of one another, and then he has somehow, I don't know how it happened, taken his toddler seat and placed it on top of those cushions. And he is seated at the top, his own little kingdom of danger. But he literally did all that just to get my attention. This starts at birth. Starts with the cry of a baby. And it goes with us till death. We want attention and we need attention. So how do we go from a good desire to a dangerous addiction? Here's what verse 31 says. These men are crying out for Jesus. And it says, the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But what do they do? But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Let's just define attention seeking. Here's how I would define it. A simple, simple definition this morning. The outward response of an inward desire or a feeling of deficiency. And so we seek attention. The crowds tried to quiet them, essentially communicating what these men had been told their whole life. You're not worth it. You don't measure up. You're better off forgotten. It's better if you're not seen. You're not lovable. Just quiet down. He doesn't want to talk to you. He's not going to stop for you. You're not worthy of this. We hear these same voices every single day. Maybe it's the voice of culture shouting at us. Maybe it's the voice of a quote unquote friend or a family member, or maybe it's the voice inside of our own head. And this voice is deafening. And so what do these men do? It says they cry out even louder and we can do the same, but often in the wrong direction, doubling down when we don't get the attention that we seek. Here's the deal. Feels great to get attention. (laughs) We all like it. I was on the hike uh, last week with the men and I was handed two letters from other men and I started to get emotional as I read those letters because it meant something to be seen and to be known. It feels amazing. So when does it go bad? Here's when it goes bad. 
when we start to worship the attention that we receive. When it becomes our end all be all, when it becomes our drug of choice and we can't live without it. And even if we get it, it just ramps up the necessity to get more. When does it go bad? When it starts to affect the way you see yourself, your identity. When it starts to affect the way that you see others, when it starts to reorient your values and manifest itself in unhealthy, unholy, and destructive actions and behaviors. And it can take on many different forms for many different reasons. And it is so easy to fall into this because we live in a circle of attention seeking. Every single day, Everyone and everything in society, on social media, on every media outlet is vying for your attention, whether it's celebrities, musicians, athletes, influencers, leaders, companies. And so it becomes normative and even expected that we would do the same. I want you to see me. I want you to validate me. We trade being loved for getting likes. And we settle for something so surfacy. And can I just tell you this? It's exhausting. It's exhausting. There's a piece of me right now that even struggles being up here with you right now because I, I, want, I, I want you to like this sermon. I want something that I say to stick with you in a way that's probably not healthy. And I feel that down in my very being and it requires such a heart check and a fighting against that to say that's not what it's about. This is a wrestling for all of us. Even if it remains down inside, it can consume us because there's always something deeper to the attention that we desire and seek. Whether it's insecurities, whether it's unfulfilled longings, whether it's unmet desires, and that's true for these two men. Do you notice they don't cry out for healing? What do they cry out for? Mercy. Mercy, essentially saying, we have nothing to offer you, Jesus. We are completely reliant on your kindness. These were undignified men by society's standards and they are not just looking for attention. They're looking for someone to give them back their dignity. Every day they were fighting for the attention of others just to survive, but now they're fighting for the attention of one that can offer them much more than just a temporary fix. And they believe that they see this in Jesus. Here's what happens next. In stopping... Jesus called to them and he said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let her eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, or other translations would say, moved with compassion, reaches out, physically touches their eyes, the unclean, the ones that nobody would touch, the ones that nobody would have into their home, the ones that nobody would spend time on, the ones that were left to simply live and die. Jesus reaches out, this king of kings, this one sent from above, that would leave his throne, that would come down to earth, that would give it up all for these men, touches their eyes. And he brings about healing. And it says, and immediately they recovered their sight. He saw them and he had what? He had compassion. We see what Jesus says and what Jesus does here, but it's just as important that we see what Jesus doesn't do and what he doesn't say here. He didn't reject them. He didn't ignore them. He didn't say, what do you have to offer me? Why should I help you? Get in line, get cleaned up first. You're past the point of help. You're not important enough. You aren't worth my time. No, he saw them, he knew them, he touches them, he embraces them because he loved them. He gave them far more back than just their sight that day. He gave these men back their identity. Their dignity. He showed them love that no one else would show. 
He's not moved because of who they were, what they brought to the table. He was moved because of who he is and what he could do. That's the big idea. In Jesus, we get more than the attention we're looking for. We get the acceptance that we're longing for. Acceptance that's not dependent upon what you can do or if you can measure up or if you can stand out or if you look good enough or any of those things. But because Christ says, I see you, I know you, I love you, and through me, you're accepted, and now you can rest in me. Is that enough? There were two requests made in this chapter, which is interesting. The first one was made on behalf of two disciples to be the greatest in the kingdom. And then this request of these two blind men. Michael Green says it so beautifully. The request of the disciples for top places in the kingdom shows their blindness. The request of the blind men shows their vision of who Jesus is and what he can do. I love what Isaiah 59, one says, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is it heavy that it cannot hear. And he hears the cries of these men. And so how do they respond to this attention and acceptance that they received from Jesus? What does it say? They followed him. And as scholars have done so much research on this passage, um, Albert Schweitzer says, it is best believed that these men join Jesus, not just following him out of curiosity, but as disciples. It's easy to make these blind men the main point of this account, but these blind men are not really the main point of this account. These blind men are a picture. These blind men are a picture of you and me. That we were the blind, that we were the helpless and hopeless. But in our case, it was because of our sin. Yet Jesus saw us on the side of the road in our life. And when everything and everyone else would say they're too far gone, they're not worth your time and attention. He stops and moved by compassion. He embraces us. He touches us. He removes the blinders of our hearts by his love, not because of what we have done. And he gives us back our sight, but he gives us back more than that. A new identity. He restores our dignity. Jesus says, you once were lost, but now I found you. You once were hopeless, but I've restored your hope. You once were the outcast, the forgotten, and the shamed, and the rejected. But I see you. I know you. I forgive you. And I love you. And I'm walking toward a cross for you that in my death, you might have life. Amen. Jesus speaks so deeply into the depths of our soul. And what we really want is not the attention. What we really want is the acceptance. Jesus would say, stop looking in the wrong ways, in the wrong places. Would you set your eyes on me, a savior and a friend who offers you acceptance, but not as you will be, as you are. Proven through the cross that I'm making my way to. This willing sacrifice out of compassion. So will you accept it? I just want to speak to different parts of the room right now. Students, students, hear me. I know I'm old. I've got a beard. Why would you listen to me? Because I own Jordans. I'm still cool like that. Here's the deal. I'm fearful for this next generation. And not in a way that has anything to do with your abilities or inabilities or anything like that. There is so much pressure on you to be seen. There is so much pressure on you to be seen. Last year alone, nearly 20% of high school students reported serious thoughts of suicide and 9% made an actual attempt on their life. This immense pressure of measuring up, of not being enough, of not fitting in. There's a pressure to look a certain way, to stand out in a certain way that gets you attention, to excel in sports and academics and clubs, 
to get noticed, to feel like you measure up, to have certain experiences or behave in a certain way that will get you the attention you think you want and desire. Constantly tempted to cross boundaries because that's what everyone else is doing and that's what it takes to get noticed. And so let me do that too, but trust me, that's not the attention you really want. And if you got it, it would overwhelm you. And it would take you to places you'd never want to be. You are worth more than that. Don't sell yourself short. God has not sold you short. He says to you, you are worth more. Here's what he says to you. He says, you are the apple of my eye. You are loved unconditionally. Others may look at the outward. I look at the inward. You are my child. You don't have to work for my love and you don't need to work for their approval. God sees you, he knows you, he loves you. Through Christ, he accepts you. Rest in that. For the ones living in between today, in between the place that we are and in between the place that we wish we were, things can get really challenging and things can get really difficult. There is no doubt that these two men felt forgotten. These were men living in the in-between of what they probably thought life was going to look like, family, community, providing, friendships, and what it was, blind, lonely, dependent, and feeling forgotten. And sometimes this is the crossroad where we find ourselves and questions start to pop up. Who's gonna see me? Who's gonna give me the attention that I desire? Who's gonna help me feel something I don't currently feel? Who's gonna fill that relationship gap? Because even though I'm here, where I really wanna be is there. And this can lead us to seek attention in places that we really shouldn't and in ways that are really unhealthy. And let me just say, maybe you're, <laughs> let me just say this first, singleness is not a curse. I hope that's okay for me to say. There is this ridiculous notion that pops up inside of the church that if you're single and not married, somehow you're less than. Total trash and nonsense. In But maybe you are single and you don't want to be. And I get that. And maybe you become convinced that this man or this woman, this guy or this girl is going to fill this role. And along the way, because we so desperately want that attention, we look past glaring issues in order to get or to keep that relationship. Here's what God says to you. I've given you a new identity and it's not dependent upon you having or not having that relationship. You are not forgotten. You're not alone. Your prayers and desires have not gone unheard. I see you. I know you. I love you. And I have good plans for you. And that's his word, not my voice speaking. Or maybe you're the unseen. I get this. This especially happens sometimes inside of marriages or parenting. Thankless. You feel like you've gone unseen. Or maybe you're the perceptionist, not perfectionist, the perceptionist that wants to be seen in certain ways. And it's where we rest our identity. When we feel like this, we can easily take on this victim mentality where we need you to know everything that I do, all the time that I give, how tired I am. But whether you're unseen or whether you're this perceptionist, here's what God says to you. Come find your rest in me, not in the affirmation of others. You are a loved son or daughter with a full inheritance in the kingdom from a loving father who sees you, knows you, loves you, accepts you, and you can rest in me. And for the unloved, the mistreated, or the abused, I'm sorry.
Maybe you didn't get the attention you needed growing up. Maybe the people in your life didn't love you in the way that they should have. And so maybe it's left you with a relational deficit where you're really not sure how to seek healthy attention. And you feel that and you know that and you're constantly running down paths that you know aren't good for you. Here's what God says to you. In Christ, I'm making all the wrongs done to you right. I'll never abandon you. I'll never mistreat you. You're not too broken for my love and my grace. I see you, I know you, I love you, and through me, I accept you. Or maybe today you're the opposite and you would say, I don't want any attention. I don't wanna be seen, I don't wanna be known because if you saw me and you knew me, you'd know everything about you, me and you'd know that I don't measure up, that I'm too broken. Christ says in me, you're forgiven and made new. You don't need to hide, you can walk in the light. I see you, I know you, I love you as you are, not as you will be my beloved son or daughter. Little did the men know that the hands that touched their eyes that day to bring physical healing would be the hands that just days later would be pierced and nailed to a cross. That Christ moved by compassion would make it possible for them and for you and for me to experience the healing that we truly need to have our lives put back together, to be seen, to be known, to be loved sons and daughters. And when we start to believe these things and we're comfortable sitting in this seat of acceptance, it allows us to actually start looking outward and to give attention, to give healthy attention to our spouse, to our kids, to our families, to our friends, to our hurting neighbors, to others inside of the church, to see them, to know them, to take time, to listen, to give attention and reflect Christ, the one who has stopped, taken time, shown us compassion and has healed us through who we are accepted. So what does this mean? This requires a heart check and it's a day in and day out heart check of saying why and how. Why am I seeking this attention? How am I seeking this attention? Is it healthy? Is it unhealthy? And to allow the Holy Spirit to speak in. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, he is telling you all of these things today and he wants you to have that relationship to where your greatest longing, this desire for acceptance to be seen and to be known can be met. And he doesn't say clean up first. And he doesn't say, I don't have time for you. He says, bring me your worst and I'll give you my best. So what would it look like for us today simply to be honest with ourselves, to confess places in our life where we've been attention, seeking attention in the wrong places, the wrong ways, to repent of those things. So to turn from that to Jesus where we're fully accepted and to believe and accept that he is enough, no matter what anything or anyone else would tell you. In Jesus, we get more than the attention we're looking for. Praise God, we get the acceptance we're longing for. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for not leaving us on the side of the road. Thank you for reaching down, picking us up, dusting us off, making us new. Jesus, may this kind of love, may it sweep our church. May we be a people that are much more mirrors than sponges. Instead of looking for all that I can get, would we be a reflection, Jesus, of you to one another, knowing that we are safe and secure in your love. Jesus, thank you for taking the time for these men. Thank you for taking the time for us. Thank you for willingly going to a cruel cross so that we could have a lasting hope in you, so that we could be truly healed. 
We pray this in your name. Amen.